Welcome to Axis Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Have you ever dreamed of flying or being chased by a monster or showing up to class to discover there's a test you didn't know about? Have you ever wondered why we dream or how our brain works while we're dreaming? If you've had these questions, you're in luck. We're going to talk about it on the program today. There's a new book out called National Geographic Kids Dream Journal. And uh, we'll talk about uh, nightmares, why they happen when we sleep, how to process them, how to get uh, let them go, how dreams have given light bulb moments to famous writers, scientists, and inventors spark the idea for Google. We'll get tips on how to get a good night's sleep. Remember what you dream. The author of this book is uh, Dr. Alan Peterkin. He's a Toronto writer and professor of psychiatry and family medicine at the University of Toronto. Author of 15 books for adults and children, including the best-selling 1,000 Beards, A Cultural History of Facial Hair. He's published picture books for children, as well as books on cultural history and medicine. Dr. Peterkin is founding editor of Ars Medica, a journal of medicine, the arts, and humanities. He heads the program in health, arts, and humanities at University of Toronto. And Dr. Peterkin, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks for having me. <clears throat> Appreciate you uh, you joining us. Um Maybe later in the program, get into uh, beards. I was reading the introduction to the book and 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 how you came to write that book, which <laughs> seems random but very very interesting. Uh, we'll start with dreams, of well, course. Well, I sort of like to you know follow ideas that I think are going to be fun, but also a bit challenging. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you say introduction to the book, and this is you know, this is uh, targeted at at kids. Uh, but but yeah. fascinating for everybody. <clears throat> um, you say you love dreaming. What did, what, did, what did dreams do for you? Well, you know, I um, so as a psychiatrist, I, I you know do a lot of psychotherapy with people, and I've I helped people interpret their dreams over the years. But I've just always you know loved my own. I remember you know having one re- recur of me flying as a kid, and I just loved that dream. And I just I really uh, love the way dreams defy, you know, logic and time and space and gravity. You know, your your mind is just completely free in them. I was reading the introduction. You uh, you cite three dreams. I think maybe everybody has I dreamed of flying. Uh, Check the box for me. Uh, dreamed of being chased by a monster. I certainly have had those. Show up to class to uh, discover there's a test you didn't know about. Yep. I've <laughs> and and years after I've uh, you know stopped going to school, I still have those dreams. Oh, sure. Yeah, we have these recurrent dreams that sort of point to things from the past or maybe sort of point to challenges we're about to face. So sometimes dreams can be like an early warning system, if you like. So um, I guess an important question, why do we dream? Well, the jury's out. You know, uh, a lot's been written, uh, you know, as as long as man has existed, tried to figure out dreams, what they mean, are they messages from the gods or from demons or uh, spiritual inspiration and so on. But nowadays, we, you know, some scientists think, well, really, they mean nothing. They're, they're our brain cleaning its hard drive, you know. Some brain connections are being pruned, others are being strengthened. So they think dreams are just, you know, like a byproduct of that, sort of like a mental burp. Uh, but we also know that, that dreams help consolidate learning and memory and even problem-solving. Um, as I mentioned, they might help us rehe- rehearse difficult scenarios that are coming up. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Sigmund Freud thought that they uh, represented our unconscious mind, you know, uh, wishes, feelings, desires that we weren't fully in touch with, but, you know, could manifest in our, in our sleeping state. 
so I, I would guess you'd come down as a psychiatrist, uh, not on the side of they're worthless and they don't mean anything, right? Because I'd, I'm, I'm guessing you've you've helped uh, patients work through problems based on dreams. Is that the case? I think so. Yeah, you know, um, and some dreams really just are symbolic, and they point to something. You know, an image, a metaphor, uh, something that that you know brings about curiosity. And I, I think curiosity is is always a good thing. And that's really why I wrote this book for kids, because, uh, you know, you see kids on their devices all the time, and I just want to convince them the best app they'll ever have is their own brain. And, you know, dreams are a perfect example of that. Uh, do you think uh, technology interferes with, with sleep and with uh, dreams? Yes, I think, it, you know, I think we've, we found that. Um, so... You know, in order to dream, you need to sleep well, and, and you need certain conditions to sleep well, you know, that it's cool and dark and quiet, and you have a bit of a routine. But we know that, that using a lot of handheld devices, uh, those devices emit light, and that messes with our brain's capacity to form melatonin, which is the sleep hormone. So, in fact, yeah, shining a lot of light, whatever the source, before you go to bed is, is not a great idea if you want to sleep and then have wonderful dreams. Do we uh, do dreams change? Do you think based on the culture around us, or, or you know what we're taking in? You know, some people think they're universal themes. So that's, for example, while you'll find dream dictionaries. You know, you look up dog, and dog means only one thing. And I, I'm more uh, of the mind that that your dream is your dream, and really you're the master of it. Only you can really interpret it. You know, if you have a dream about a dog, you might hate dogs because you got bitten once, whereas I love dogs because, you know, I bred Labradors at one time. So, you know, the idea that, that certain things are really particular uh, to you, but, but there is the sense that some dream patterns are universal. You know, uh, dreaming of waking up, you know, of standing on a, a stage naked is, is something that, that can happen a- across cultures, and it's the idea that, you know, being exposed or or not prepared or caught unawares, that, that, that kind of thing. Uh, you say in the book there are three types, generally three types of dreams. What are those? Yeah, so the first type are, are kind of real-life dreams that just sort of rehash events from the day. Those tend to be kind of mundane. Then there are the fantastic dreams, which are, you know, the flying dreams, the ones that defy time and space. And then the t- third type are the nightmares, which are, uh, you know, contain really kind of frightening stories and narratives, and, uh, you know, are particularly troubling to children. So, uh, a lot of times we don't remember our dreams, right? And I guess, I don't know, generally maybe not important to remember them. When would it become important to remember our dreams? <clears throat> well, I think, I think you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't dream. And what they really mean is I don't remember my dreams. And I think there are reasons for that, because we all dream, you know, four cycles a night, so that's like 1,460 a year and 100,000 in, in an average lifespan, right? So we, we all do dream, and I think we don't remember them because we haven't trained ourselves to pay attention. You know, so when you think of what a lot of kids do, you know, when they jump out of bed is, you know, the alarm goes off, they rush to the bathroom, they, they switch on their phone, they, you know, same thing for, for adults. And the idea is if you just take a few seconds in, in bed in the morning and don't rush around and just say, hmm, what, what did I dream about? Sometimes it's only one word or one image that will come, 
And then that sort of sparks other bits of recollection. So you can actually string together some kind of story uh, for the dream. So it's really that we're not paying attention. And, and I think what I suggest in the book is it's a skill that you really can learn. And it's worth journaling about your dreams because uh, sometimes they change, sometimes they recur, sometimes they're just so off the wall that you, you, know, you're, you're, you just puzzle at them. But the idea of paying attention, doing some journaling, and then you know, maybe even t- talking to family members, friends about your dreams um, is another way of kind of keeping, keeping your own awareness up. You, uh, you uh, say in the book, and you have a caution here for kids, uh, uh, one way you could do this is set the alarm to wake up. Uh, sort of in the, in the That's m- right. Middle yeah, of the I mean, and again, I, I think I, I say, you know, do, do not try this at home unless your parents agree. So the right. idea is we tend to remember dreams if we wake up during the, the phase of sleep called REM sleep, rapid eye movement. So um, if, you, if you wake up during that phase, uh, the dreams are, are rich and detailed, and uh, you tend to remember them. What's interesting, uh, early on in the night, dreams are shorter, and they tend to be about really recent things. But as the night progresses, they get longer, more complicated, and often deal with things from the past or from childhood. And, you know, that's often when we wake up, that nice long dream, and then the alarm goes off, and we're in the middle of it. And, and uh, yeah, being wakened at that point means that we, we often remember the story. Uh, parenthetically, um, I've had the experience, especially with nightmares, wake up in the middle of a nightmare um, uh, feeling paralyzed. And uh, reading reading the book, um, maybe I was a little partially paralyzed. There, well, it's interesting. You know, various parts of the brain are involved with, uh, with uh, sleeping and dreaming. It's kind of this intricate uh, dance. So um, the prefrontal part of our brains is... is uh, deals with logic and order and things making sense, and it actually shuts down. And then our visual cortex, you know, uh, is where images are processed, is super active. Um, And our pons is part of the the brain that releases chemicals that uh, temporarily paralyze or freeze our voluntary muscles. So not our breathing and heart rate, but like our limbs, the movement of our limbs. And of course, the reason for that is, you know, safety. Uh, you don't want to be acting out dreams, so you're actually, you know, thrashing about in the woods or something in your dream, but you're not actually doing that in the in the bed. And then the amygdala is uh, the part of the brain that deals with intense feelings and anger and fear, and it fires up particularly during uh, during nightmares. So yeah, in fact, you know, uh, depending when you wake up, uh, there are chemicals that do temporarily uh, uh, paralyze the the muscles. And that's that's reassuring to me somehow. That my oh, brain's actually I working. Think so. right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, if a kid is sharing, you know, the, the bedroom with their brother or whatever, they're not about to clobber the brother because they're doing it in the dream. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, uh, what about sleepwalking then? So those are non-REM sleep disorders. So that's uh, not during the REM phase. It's during other phases. And there's sleepwalking, there's sleep talking, there's sleep eating. Um, some people have, you know, adults, of course, got in, try, you know, got into a car and tried to sleep drive. So it's it's uh, you know acting out um, particular activities, but not during the REM phases of, of sleep. So clearly, we're not paralyzed in those phases, and and we actually act out certain things. But uh, you know, sleep uh, sleepwalking and sleep talking are are. Uh, not all that uncommon, and they're you know they're kind of amusing for people who 
service. <laughs> you, you say, not da- they're not dangerous in any way. You, you, you say uh, some people. You say some people sleep drive. Well, they try. They get in the car wow. and they're fidgeting around with keys, and you know, and somebody goes on and says, "What are you doing?" And and of course they, uh, um, they're fast asleep, right? Yeah, we're right. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, you wouldn't be able to start the engine up and everything. Um, exactly. Yes. I, I, one of my brothers uh, used to be able to engage him in conversation when he was sleeping. It was it was a uh, somewhat right. amusing. Well, would he actually respond to things you would say, or would he just be talking back, like sort of the the ping pong ball of conversation? Because sometimes they keep talking, but they're not really responding to anything that you've said. Yeah, I, I think it was a little mixture of both, or maybe we're just in, imputing uh, meaning to the conversation. But it it seemed like he was responding. It can be both, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then he wouldn't remember it at all when you know when he woke up. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My mother told me that when then when she was little, um, her brother was in another room, but but they would be talking back and forth during during the night. You know, sort of these kind of nonsensical conversations, but just back and forth. So. Yeah, yeah it's another mystery, isn't it? Really, it, that, that yeah that would happen at all. Yeah, and you wonder if anything landed in the kind of the subconscious of either one, or whether it was just kind of a surface ping pong ball thing, you know? Exactly. Yeah, and, and as you say, sometimes it, there is a real conversation, or it seems to be triggered like a normal conversation. Another, it's just you know, kind of the sound going back and forth of of, of words. I wonder if you do you have you done dream journaling? Have you done any of this kind of work? Yeah, yeah. I I've tended to write down the ones that really stand out for me. So I'm not I don't do it every single day. Um but for for some adults it's part of their overall journaling. You know, they're journaling about their lives, their waking lives, and they'll often put in a little section about a dream because it was in, interesting to them. And um Kids, some kids actually journal and keep diaries and so on, but but uh, this book really is, you know, particularly around dreams and um, uh, writing them down, doing little storyboards of them, um, following threads. You know, one thought leads to another. So all kinds of sort of fun ways of of uh, uh, documenting the dream. So it's not always written. Sometimes it can be through through imagery. Yeah, uh, uh, the, definitely as a journal, a lot of the pages are, you know, lined with some illustrations, and, uh, and you're wanting kids to to to, to journal, um, remember, yeah, remember their the dreams. Yeah, the and then yeah. just start writing things down. And, you know, they'll probably fill up this particular uh, journal, you know, uh, it's only so many pages, but hopefully they'll get into the knack of then continuing a journal uh, using the tips that they can find within, you know. Um, one of the things we talk about is, is sort of incubating a dream, that, that uh, the power of suggestion, you can actually say, I want I want to kind of, um, and the ancients did this, they would sort of uh, plant an idea or a question and, and then literally sleep on it for a, for a solution. So a suggestion would be that, you know, you say, I've got this particular problem or this particular question, so you write it down before you go to bed, you, maybe you say it out loud, Maybe you imagine it, you know, you close your eyes, and before you fall asleep, you, you sort of imagine it like a movie playing out that you're doing this and you get stuck or whatever. Uh, and then you, you tell yourself, power suggestion, I really want a solution to this dream uh, tonight. And uh, I really want to dream about this tonight. And that can sometimes work. 
believe it or not, you know, and, and you can get uh, inspiration. But, but what I found really fun doing the research for the book is that all kinds of people, and you said this in your intro, had amazing inspirations that happened uh, not really because they, they asked for them or incubated them, but just they had went to bed with this problem, this dilemma, or sometimes not at all. Like, for example, Paul McCartney uh, had a dream with the melody of yesterday in the dream. He, he got up and, you know, and went to the piano and played it pretty much wholly formed because he actually dreamt that, that uh, melody. And you were talking about Larry Page and, and uh, Google. Um, you know, I guess in his dream he said, what would happen if you could download the whole web but do it just with the links, you know? And, you know, Google search was, was, was born, right? So there are all these wonderful uh, examples of, like Jack Nicklaus, apparently he was having some trouble with his golf game and he dreamt up a new way of holding his club, uh, his golf club, and it transformed his game. So, you know, the, that's what I mean about the unexpected, sort of creative things, problem-solving. Uh, um, so when, you know, people used to say, well, sleep on it, sometimes you actually get these, these terrific results from that. You mentioned in the book uh, some writers, famous writers. Uh, Frankenstein's monster yeah. came from a dream. Well, Mary Shelley uh, dreamt about the Frank Frankenstein's monster. She had a dream about it. And Robert Louis Stevenson uh, dreamt pretty much the plot for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So, yeah, the idea that, that uh, you, you get these stories, and particularly if they're scary, you know, sometimes that, that's sort of an impetus. I wonder how many horror movie, uh, you know, writers and, and screenwriters uh, actually started with, with kind of scary dreams and... Uh, and, you know, painters have used uh, sleep for, for inspiration. So Salvador Dali, you know, who, who did all those wonderful dripping clocks and all kinds of uh, things, he, he um, mastered, there's a, there's a state between sleeping and waking called the hypnagogic state. And uh, so you're neither awake neither, nor asleep, but you can actually get almost hallucinations. You can sort of see things and hear things and smell things, the senses are activated. And he actually trained himself to kind of stay in that state longer, to recognize it and stay there so that he could get inspiration for his, his work. And I think, I think that's why so many of his paintings are, are really quite odd, but, but very dreamlike. Yeah, it might explain, at least in part. Um, I had a, a professor in business school who um, really swore by this. He, he said, if you're stuck with something... Uh, set it up before you go to bed, you know, think it through, and in the morning you'll have uh, a solution. Yeah, yeah, and, and certainly that's been done historically. As I say, it was called, you know, incubating dreams and, and uh, uh, viewing them as a source of kind of wisdom and, and knowledge. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to uh, get into, uh, have you remind us the stages of sleep and where dreams fit in and what's happening in our brains uh, when we uh, when we sleep um, and uh, when we dream. Uh, the book is National Geographic Kids Dream Journal. And the author is Dr. Alan Peterkin. He's a Toronto writer and professor of psychiatry and family medicine at University of uh, Toronto. You can join us with your question or comment on uh, dreams at upraxcess at gmail.com upraxis at gmail.com. You can also call us, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. More following this break. 
Hey, Lael, what's the deal with appetizers? You know, Jen, appetizers are those tasty little bites that whet your appetite for the main meal. Ah, so it's like our UPR segment, Bread and Butter. Tasty little radio bites about cooking, eating, and all the ingredients in between. We should invite the listeners to brunch. Good idea. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. for Bread and Butter, your locally sourced appetizer to the splendid table. Now there's a satisfying meal and all on Utah Public Radio. This summer just won't be the same without you, so we're inviting you to join us for live music, great food, and a whole lot of fun on Sunday, July 28th for our summer concert at the Vineyards at Mount Naomi Farms, the evening featuring outdoor musical performances by Ryan Conger Trio and the Blue Blazers Band. Delicious barbecue buffet by Culinary Concepts. Be sure and join us on Sunday, July 28th. Pick up your tickets today online at upr.org. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. Uh, what are the three types of dreams? We've talked about that. Uh, here's a tidbit. You'll sleep better if you wear socks. We've been talking about that. Uh, tips on how to get a good night's sleep and remember more about what you dream. All of that included in National Geographic Kids' Dream Journal. It's a new book out uh, from Dr. Alan Peterkin. He's a Toronto writer and professor of psychiatry and family medicine at the University of uh, Toronto, author of 15 books for adults and uh, children. Um, so, Dr. Peterkin, I want to uh, maybe focus on uh, children just for a few minutes and then we'll broaden it back out again. Um, but uh, in your biography here, your books on kids focus on creativity, curiosity, connection, and resilience. Resilience, very important. Uh, how can dreams and, and journaling dreams and understanding uh, dreams help kids be resilient? Well, I, I think, you know, dreams um, give the message can give the message that um, you're special. You know, your, your dreams are your unique. And we use the word dream broadly. We can talk about dreams when we're awake being aspiration, right? This is what I want to be or become. But the idea that, that we should always be curious about ourselves and reflective. And I think that when you learn how to reflect on your experience, that allows you to sort of step back from it and helps you problem solve. Uh, and that can be protective. Certainly that... that uh, um, reduces stress and, and can build, you know, the capacity to bounce back from things, which is what we call resilience. Uh, I found it interesting the book that, uh, of course, uh, kids don't come fully formed. It's it's a process of growing, uh, and it's interesting the the stages uh, the kids go through in terms of dreams. For example, uh, early on, um, kids don't appear in their own dreams. That's right. You know. So kids up to age five, it can be animals, that kind of thing, and they don't really appear in their, as characters in their own dreams until uh, about the age of seven. So that, that's kind of interesting, sort of a different level of consciousness and awareness and, and you being kind of the, the main protagonist in your own life and in the, own, your, you know, the plot of your, of your dreams. Maybe this would be a good uh, place to bring in uh, nightmares, which could be especially troublesome for kids, uh, troublesome for adults. I'd, <laughs> I've uh, yeah. the nightmares I've remembered; some of them have been pretty scary. Um, so, w- why do nightmares happen? You know, it's it's not really clear. It, it's just this discharge of energy, and, and as I mentioned earlier, it, it happens in the amygdala, which is part of of the primitive brain that that deals with anger and rage and fear and and you know light and fight and, and those kinds of things. Um, so they, they, they charge up, and 
you know, sometimes they, they do herald that there's something you're worried about, that, you know, something you're stressed about. Uh, it can be an indication that, that um, you know, something isn't quite right in your waking life. Or they can be triggered just by watching a scary movie. So there again, the power of suggestion. Um, so, yeah, they happen, and they are quite frightening. Um, but in the book, I talk about how kids can sort of um, kind of deactivate their, their nightmares. So one thing would be to, to tell, you know, the parents or a friend at school that you had this dream. So, you know, verbalizing it kind of gets it out of your head. You're talking about it. Uh, it there's room in the journal for kids to draw a storyboard of, of the dream, and that's another way of representing it and, and kind of takes the edge off it. And then we suggest that, you know, uh, if you had that dream over and you're, you know, the main superhero in that dream, what could you do differently? And it might be that you can turn that shark into a, to a goldfish, right? Or you, you start calling the monster Petunia, some silly name. And the idea that, you know, you can actually kind of redraft the, the plot of the dream and, and, and make it funny. So humor is a, a great way of kind of taking the edge off, uh, off dreams. So, you know, a combination of those techniques can actually, again, give you distance give you a little bit, a bit of a storyline, but, but not be quite as, as frightened. I imagine these techniques would work for adults as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think so. You know, writing it down, telling somebody, drawing it, uh, concluding something silly in the plot line, all those things can be, can be helpful for us, too. Uh, how do we let them go? How do we, can we stop a recurring nightmare? Uh, well, there again, you know, the power of suggestion, if you, if you were to have a recurring nightmare, you could do this, that. You know, you could say, if I have that dream tonight, this is what I'm going to do, and uh, I'm going to do differently, or I'm going to change the plot line. Uh, we talk in the dream about something called lucid dreaming, which is when you're asleep and dreaming, you actually realize that you're in the state of dreaming. So you can actually change the plot line of that dream. You can decide, okay, now, now I'm going to fly, you know, I, this is what I want to do next. Um, so the idea that, that, and again, that's something that some people swear by and train themselves to do, uh, to be lucid and aware uh, of the fact that they're dreaming so that they can then control the, the plot line. Um, yeah, kind of interesting. And, and that can be done. You can train yourself to do that. People swear by it. There are websites on it. People people do it. And, and you know, I, I, I'm... I know myself I've had dreams where I'm sort of saying, oh, I'm dreaming, you know, like the awareness, uh, you know, that, that I'm in the process of dreaming. So if you can get that awareness, then I think it's quite probable that you could start to shape uh, shape where the dream goes. If you just joined us, we're talking about a, uh, a new book, National Geographic Kids Dream Journal. And a lot of space here for kids to uh, to do journaling about their dreams. A lot of facts and uh, figures about uh, about dreaming. Very interesting. The author is Dr. Alan Peterkin. Uh, so, Dr. Peterkin, uh, maybe we could have you uh, take us through the uh, stages of sleep, and then where, where dreaming uh, fits in. What's happening in the brain? Okay. Well, stage one, um, our muscles uh, start to relax. Our heartbeat slows down. Uh, we kind of drift in and out of sleep and, and can awaken pretty easily. And then stage two, our brain waves uh, slow down, but we sometimes get these quick bursts of activity called spindles. You can see them like on an EEG, and that's what they look like, kind of these little jagged spindles. 
and um, we spend the longest amount of our sleeping time in, in stage two. And then stage three is when we enter really deep sleep, and uh, our brain waves become really long and slow, um, and this is the stage in which some people walk and talk in their sleep. We were talking about that earlier, you know, sleep walking, sleep talking, uh, sleep eating. That, that happens in stage three, which is non-REM sleep. And then stage four is um, during the REM stage, rapid eye movement, and that's where most of the uh, dreams happen. Our body's completely still. Some of our muscles are frozen, but the brain is extremely active, and you know, our heart rate and breathing slow down. And uh, as I mentioned, it's, you know, if you wake up during the REM stage, that's when you're most likely to, to remember your, your dreams in, in greater detail. And, you know, it's interesting, um, researchers used to think that nothing happened in the brain uh, when we sleep. But if you, you know, hook someone up to an EEG machine, you see all this activity, and particularly, you know, during REM sleep. Um, and, and what's interesting about REM is it's very visual, as I said. It's in the visual cortex. But there's uh, some sense that it might actually advance the scenes of our dreams, sort of like swiping your smartphone screen you know, when you're calling up the next image, the next photo. So the idea that this rapid eye movement might actually kind of be, you know, turning the, the slide projector of, of the images is, is kind of an interesting observation, too. Interesting, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, the, and, and you said earlier it's interesting that dreams start out shorter and they get longer as the night goes. That's right, yeah. Um, and again, I, I guess it's because our, our sleep, they start, you know, more superficial, the, 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 the stages, and then, you know, we get into a deeper, more consolidated sleep as the night uh, progresses. So what does sleep in general um, do for us? We, we all know it's essential. If you, <laughs> if you don't get a good night's sleep, you're just, uh, you know, you, you can't function very well. And if you go night after night without, without sleeping, it, it can have real, real health effects. What's, what's going on? For why sure. do, why, why well, do we know, need sleep? You can... Uh, People can die from sleep deprivation, right? So it really is a period of, of rejuvenation when our cells are, are rejuvenating. We're, we're getting a deep rest. Our brain is getting a deep rest. Um, you know, it's, it's really vital to our organism to, to have this period of sleep. And I think, um, you know, we're, we're, we're a nation of, of sleep-deprived individuals. And it, it's because of, you know, overstimulation and multitasking and, and, you know, even the ingestion of, of caffeine, you know, even kids are drinking energy drinks and colas and so on. So all these things that kind of assault our, our ability to sleep, and, and we all need it. Now, you, know, you, you need less uh, when you're, um, you know, elderly, for example. So different ages, you need different amounts of sleep. It's a different quality of sleep for older people. But we still need, um, we need to you know, recharge, and, and that's what sleep provides us. What, what are the, it's, it's averages, but uh, what does the average adult need? What, uh, what should we be getting? Well, you know, I think sort of they say 8 to 10 hours is, is pretty typical. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm imagining a lot of us aren't cool getting kids, that. you know, would need probably 9 to 11. Mm-hmm. Teens is 8 to 10. Um you know, adults is seven to nine. Young adults is seven to nine, also, um, and older adults seven to eight. But again, it can be a bit more of a, a fragmented sleep in, in older people. And a lot of us aren't getting that, right? So it has uh, 
has deleterious effects. What are some tips you can give us uh, to to get better sleep? Yeah, so I think um, having a sort of a wind down routine before you go to bed is is good. So not doing. I tell my patients don't do emails before you go to bed, especially emails that are going to upset you. You know, don't do anything that gets your mind going. So like video games, you know, tend to be exciting to the, to the brain. Um, keep your room cool and dark. Uh, some people like, you know, to get very thick drapes that block out all light uh, to help them, them sleep. Um, as I mentioned earlier, don't, you know, um, hold devices that emit light. So even a cell phone can disrupt melatonin production. And then try and keep pretty much the same routine. You know, we have these circadian rhythms, um, these, these rhythms of, of waking and, and sleeping, and so, you know, trying to go to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time. And I think something that, that Americans do and, well, yeah, all, all over the world, the same thing is, you know, people try to catch up for lost sleep on the weekend and might sleep in very late, but that can actually kind of disrupt the, the regular sleep-wake cycle that they try to have during, uh, during the week. So there's something about keeping things pretty regular, uh, which, is, uh, uh, which is pretty important. And avoiding stimulant, you know, stimulants like caffeine. But you know, even some cold tablets are, are very stimulating, and and uh, people report having insomnia when they're when they're taking those, and certainly certain allergy medications as well. So um, you know, for adults, it's worth reviewing what meds you're on because some of them might be disrupting uh, disrupting sleep. What about uh, sleeping pills? When uh, when when to bring those in? Well, I think, you know, the various uh, national and international sleep um, associations uh, suggest something called cognitive behavioral therapy is, is the best approach to insomnia. So that's where you're actually, the behavioral part is you're learning to relax your breathing, your body. Uh, the cognitive part is you're learning to relax your mind. So it's kind of a systematic way of just really readying yourself for, for bed. But, you know, sometimes uh, people do require, you know, sleeping tablets for, you know, a week or, or two after some traumatic event or serious loss or, or something very upsetting. Um, and so doctors will judiciously sometimes prescribe uh, medications, but reminding them, uh, reminding people that these things can be quite addictive, some of them, um, and so that it's really for, intended for, for shorter, shorter use. Uh, but then, you know, people also try natural things like magnesium and melatonin supplements and so forth uh, to assist with sleep, and, and uh, there's, there's some evidence for those as well. What, what about the old classic uh, remedy that sort of, that's, you know, <laughs> become a cliche, counting sheep? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I guess anything monotonous, um, you know, is, is uh, and there's something kind of rhythmic about that. It's It's visual, it's fluffy, it's sort of gen a gentle image. So, you know, and you're counting, which is kind of um, kind of erasing all the other thoughts. You know, I, I think a lot of us, our minds are so active when we're trying to fall asleep because we just, we haven't taken any breaks during the day. We haven't processed things that were upsetting to us, you know, at school or home or work. Um, and so we're there, we're, the body's finally, you know, uh, in bed, but the mind is just racing and racing and racing. So anything kind of rhythmic. So some people will listen to CDs of, of natural sounds. 
uh, or meditations that sort of invite kind of this slower uh, brainwave and, and uh, readiness for, for sleep. And you mentioned wearing socks. <laughs> That's actually true, uh, although I think everybody has their own preference. I wouldn't want to wear socks to bed, but um, the idea that, that when your body temperature is regulated is when the brain says, okay, now we can sleep. If your feet are cold, you've got vasoconstriction happening in your feet, and that's sort of a message, hmm, I better stay alert because, you know, the, my body temperature isn't fully, fully regulated. But I think we all have our tips and, and, you know, what we prefer and how many pillows and some are on the, sleep on the back and some are on the side. Um, there's one thought, though, that when you wake up uh, in a particular position um, and you remember your dream, you might want to try and replicate that uh, um, position again because it might help you remember dreams moving forward. By the way, in the book, there's a wonderful uh, illustration of a sheep, fluffy sheep jumping over a fence uh, surrounded by clouds, the moon's in the background. I don't know if it's making me sleepy, but sure, it makes me peaceful. That's uh, <laughs> kind of nice. But, you know, that's the thing. National Geographic, their books for kids are so beautifully designed. Like, I, I couldn't be happier with... You know, the, the images and, and the photos and the little factoids that are all, you know, sprinkled throughout and so forth. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's really appealing to, to look at. Mm. So I think, you know, images get images. So you've got these images going and, and you'll start to pay more attention to images in your, in your dreams, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully there's a connection. Um, you talk about sleep disorders in the book. Um, I wonder if you talk a little bit about this. Night terrors uh, happen to children, young children. Uh, you're saying in the book, these are not nightmares. That's right, actually, because they're a discharge of our uh, autonomic uh, nervous system. So, you know, that your, your heart's racing, you're breathing, you're, you're trembling, um, but it doesn't happen. Uh, there's no actual story um, as in a dream. As, you know, dreams are stories, they're narratives. This is just a physical discharge, uh, you know, of, of uh, cues that, that suggest, you know, terror and fright. You know, so if you ran into a tiger, you'd be having the same physical sensations, but in this case, you're having them with no storyline uh, as you sleep. And uh, they really are uh, quite terrifying. Uh, and uh, narcolepsy, this is something I've, uh, you know, heard about. It must be, I guess in its most severe form, must be pretty debilitating. Well, you know, it's where you people go right into to REM sleep and fall asleep, you know, within seconds. They could be standing, you know, at a podium giving a lecture and boom, you know, there they go, or at the dinner table and, and you know, they just conk out. So it's just this instantaneous falling asleep and moving into the REM phase of sleep. Uh, unfortunately, there's some, there's some good medications that we can give people so that they don't, uh, they don't have those uh, episodes. But you can imagine, you know, before it sort of picked up, people could fall and hurt themselves, uh, that sort of thing. So it's important to get treatment for that one. Um, you, uh, you have some facts about animals in the book. Uh, cats. We, we're familiar with cats sleeping a lot. <laughs> I was surprised to, to read that lions don't sleep as much, but tigers, you say some species of tigers sleep 20 hours uh, yeah, uh, twenty hours yeah. a day. You know, it's, I, I went on safari a couple of years back, and... and um, uh, re- I, you know, our guide was saying the only animals that really get to sleep through the night are the lions and tigers, because every other animal in the jungle is terrified <laughs> of being eaten by the lions and the tigers. So they, they, you know, some of them briefly sleep standing up. Um, elephants, 
you know, lie down for REM sleep, but stand up the rest of the time when they're sleeping. So all these kind of interesting habits. And, and you know, ancient humans um, used to, to sleep in what they call polyphasic sleep, which is on and off through the day, you know, throughout the day and night. Uh, but about 10,000 years ago, we moved into pretty much monophasic sleep, which is, you know, going to bed at night when it's dark and getting up when it's light. Um, and maybe that's because, you know, we, uh, we learned how to keep safe as we, as we navigated the jungles and that kind of thing, right? We had watch systems. We, we developed relationships with dogs who would bark and, and so forth. So we, we switched to the kind of sleep patterns we know now. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have about 10 minutes left. And I'd like to, uh, with your permission, Doctor, uh, switch over to talking about beards. And um, sure. and also, interesting, uh, you head up um, um, at the University of Toronto, I understand, the uh, Health, Arts, and Humanities program. Um, right. I'd like to talk a little bit about that. In fact, uh, the, sure, sure. the the journal Ars Medica is dedicated to, to this intersection, right? Um, anything right. else before we go to break that you'd like to say about dreams? Just, I, I just hope your listeners just start to get curious and, and uh, um, you know, start to pay attention to them and, and start sharing them with others. And, and uh, I, think it's a, I think they're a real gift, actually, to the humankind. So, uh, you know, they're worth paying attention to. Well, we'll take a break. Uh, we've been talking about the new book, National Geographic Kids Dream Journal. And uh, the author is Dr. Alan Peterkin. He's a Toronto writer, professor of psychiatry and family medicine at University of uh, Toronto. More following this. Hi, I'm Steve Williams, host of Jazz Time here on Utah Public Radio. I hope you'll join me Sunday evenings for a journey through the world of jazz music, from ragtime to bop, from Havana to Logan, Utah. Tune in for a bit of history, commentary, the occasional interview, and of course... All that jazz. Jazz time, Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. Over the Memorial Day weekend, Tyler Riggs and David Fawcett came into the UPR studio to talk to listen, and hopefully to bridge the current cultural and political divide. Both heartily recommended one small step we can all take. We need to learn, I think, as a society to... Just get along better. Invite your neighbors over to a barbecue that have completely different beliefs than you. We've got to start having the barbecues. I need to reach out to people in starting in the neighborhood that I don't talk to and get to know them. And you don't have to become best friends, but you should find some element of common ground. If you'd like to participate, go to upr.org and sign up for StoryCorps' One Small Step. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We've reached our last segment with Dr. Alan Peterkin. He's a Toronto writer and professor of psychiatry and family medicine at the University of Toronto, author of 15 books for adults and children. The latest is National Geographic Kids Dream Journal. That's what we've been talking about for the bulk of the program. He's also author of the best-selling 1,000 Beards, A Cultural History of Facial Hair. That's where I'd like to go next. Uh, this is uh, this fascinating. Uh, tell me in brief, Dr. Peterkin, how you came to, you're a psychiatrist, right? <laughs> How'd you come to write a book yeah. on, on well, facial you know, hair? I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm really interested in what makes us human and, and uh, sort of quirky expressions and, and, uh, and so on. So about 20 years ago, I wanted to write a cultural history and really 
almost everything you could think of had been done, cultural history of, of the pencil, for example. And I was literally, uh, I work in a downtown hospital in Toronto, and I, I walked to work. And one morning I was just noticing that, that you know, and, and, and Toronto's a pretty culturally diverse uh, city, um, that pretty much every third face across, you know, ages and across cultures had some kind of facial hair. And I just, I just was curious about that. I thought, wh- why is this happening? And, and if you remember, you know, 25 years ago is when everybody had a goatee, right? And it just swept. And then um, that led to this whole wave now, 25 years of, of uh, every type of facial hair you can, you can imagine. So I was just curious, well, you know, what, what are men saying about being men with their faces and their facial hair? And what are they saying about you know, their allegiances. It used to be you'd have a beard because your king or your priest had one, right? So these were your allegiances. Um, but now men are freer than ever to, to grow facial hair. used to be you couldn't keep a job, you couldn't be on a baseball team if you had facial hair. Uh, so there's this, this new freedom for, for, for men to, to express themselves with, with facial hair, which I think is, uh, is, is a lot of fun, actually. And I imagine this comes as a, with most fashion, it comes in cycles. Uh, That's absolutely right. So some are saying, that, you know, this cycle um, is going to end. You know, we're going to go back to sort of preppy, clean, shaven, and, and so on. So, I mean, I think fashion is often about doing what everybody else isn't doing. And if somebody said to me, you know, when your dad has the same beard as you, it's time to change your look. <laughs> Yeah, certainly true. <laughs> certainly true. Uh, what I'm noticing, I have noticed for a little while, maybe it's due for change, is uh, what I call the upside-down head. Uh, young men uh, shaving their heads and uh, growing out a big old beard. Yeah, so that's um, that's certainly a very popular look. Um, and I guess it harkens back to, you know, back in, in swinging London, you know, the, the skinheads and stuff. That was a look. But they tended to be clean-shaven. Um, certainly a lot of men who, who are going bald will shave their heads and then grow a beard. It really balances things out nicely. I, you know, beards, um, you know, men generally don't wear makeup, but beards are our makeup because we can, you know, uh, disguise a weak chin. We can, you know, uh, grow a bushy stash to hide thin lips and, and uh, make our face look slimmer or longer or whatever you want by, by growing facial hair. So there's, there's a bit of a kind of aesthetic or cosmetic uh, point to it as well. But I think it's a real fraternity for men. It's one of the few things men can can do that, that women, or most women, can't. And, um, you know, the whole ritual of shaving, for example, something we learned from our fathers, our grandfathers, our uncles, you know, this kind of male rite of passage. And, and um, yeah, so I, I think uh, it, it really resonates for men. Yeah, you wrote, a, I guess, a follow-up book on mustaches. Yeah, I got asked to, to do one. And funnily enough, I was on the Jimmy Fallon show not so long ago because he was growing a mustache, and they, they flew me in to, to be sort of on this paddle of helping him choose uh, which mustache. And, and uh, I gather he didn't keep it all that long after, but, but uh, yeah, it, it's funny. I mean, um, so the book is 25 years old now, but there isn't really uh, a week or month go by where I don't get a call about the meaning of somebody's facial hair. So, you know, when Al Gore lost the election, he, he grew this big bushy beard, and they said, well, what's going on there? And I said, well, you know, um, he was moving into academia, and we often think of professors of having beards. Um, 
in some cultures you grow a beard as a sign of mourning or grief or loss. I thought maybe that's it. Um, and then maybe also he really wanted to change his public face, right? He'd been this clean-cut senator, and he wanted to change the way he presented to the world. So, um, you know, it used to be we could sort of say what a beard meant because, again, of those allegiances and there were rules about having one and how long it could be in the military, et cetera, et cetera. But now um, men will grow a beard for their own reasons. And, you know, uh, you won't be able to really tell unless you ask them, you know, why now? Uh, I know myself I don't shave in uh, the winter because it's pretty cold up here in Toronto. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of have the stubble thing going, but it's just because I hate shaving when it's dark and cold outside. <laughs> and then I'm, you know, more clean-shaven in, in the summer. But the, the main thing is that we're free to do that, right? We can. Mm. Nobody's going to look askance at me at work uh, because I, I suddenly have a beard. We have an email from Glenn in the Yona Basin uh, here in Utah. Uh, I want to get this in before we close. Uh, I don't know if... I, I probably uh, slaughtered this, Glenn. He says, Nuknehet... Uh, I'm, I slaughtered it. Hello and Klingon is what that is, he says. I, I used to be a truck driver with the typical sleep issues. I drove primarily overnight, local loads. At one point, I was experiencing sleep issues. I would be fighting grogginess for the last 30 miles or so, get to my house, park, walk to the house, lie down, and end up wide awake. I ended up trying some over-the-counter herbal melatonin. It made me about as edgy and irritable as I've ever been. Um, and uh, I was basically a Klingon in personality, he says, parenthetically. That's why he opened in Klingon. Any ideas as to why? And he also says, I've also adopted a recent beard. Thanks, uh, Glenn. Any... Aha, so it's kind of a double-barreled. Uh, a double-barreled, yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think um, certainly workers who work shifts um, can struggle with a lot of daytime sleepiness, uh, you know, because it's not the natural order of things to be working, you know, when it's... it's up and alert and working when it's dark. So shift workers can have difficulties with, with kind of finding a new sleep pattern, and, and certainly truck drivers, that's something that happens to them. Um, there's a condition called sleep apnea, uh, which is where um, you stop breathing, you know, up to 100 times a night. You're not aware of it, but your brain is never getting a deep sleep. And we know that a lot of car accidents are actually caused by undiagnosed sleep apnea. It's quite a common condition treated with, you know, CPAP machines and so on. But, um, you know, certainly some drivers uh, have that. Uh, and one of the signs is that you, you're really drowsy during the day and you could fall asleep, you know, when you sit in your chair or even at the wheel. So, so that might be it. So um, there can be all kinds of reasons. And I think what he was talking about as well is, you know, uh, the cues to fall asleep are very strong. And, and if you fight through them and ignore them, um, sometimes you miss them, and you know they're you, you get home after you're you're driving the the night shift or whatever, and uh, your your mind is is active, you know, because you've kind of missed your your slot where where you would have fallen asleep uh, quite easily. We're just about but, out you know of again, just showing how important sleep is and how yeah. important sleep is to safety. You know, you think of of you know young doctors who who uh, used to have to work you know three days in a row without sleep. And, and, you know, errors that could result from that and the idea that pilots have to have a certain amount of sleep and you, you want somebody managing your nuclear plant who's, who's slept well and isn't about to nod off on the job, right? So, so that's the other aspect of sleep is, is uh, uh, the issue of safety um, in, in all aspects of life.
Oh, thanks for that, Glenn. And uh, Glenn also sent a picture, um, and it, it with his uh, beard. He looks very, uh, very it looks great. Great beard, uh, uh, Glenn. Uh, so we are we're essentially out of time. Uh, I will uh, send you over to University of Toronto Health, Arts, and Humanities uh, program. Just Google that up, and you can see that very interesting uh, topic for for another time. Uh, Dr. Peter Canenza. Uh, 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 heads up that program. He's a Toronto writer, professor of psychiatry and family medicine at University of Toronto, author most recently of National Geographic Kids Dream Journal. Dr. Peterkin, thank you so much. Oh, well, thanks for, for having me. It's been a real pleasure to chat. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Are you looking for a way to make your nonprofit organization more visible to our statewide community? Utah Public Radio's community calendar highlights events across the state, including musical performances, festivals, live theater, art shows, dance, educational or guest lectures, workshops, volunteer opportunities, and more. We have a more user-friendly submission page. Just visit the UPR website at upr.org and click on the community calendar link. There, you can review the submission guidelines. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, and also heard at upr.org.